Thursday um, at lunchtime, I was um, here in Safety Harbor at a little restaurant called Anthony's. It's a little Italian coal burnt pizza place. It's delicious if you like coal burnt pizza. Um, how many of you know where it is? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so it's just right up here on, on Enterprise. And so I'm there and um, just, just got started with lunch and um, with a friend of mine from church. And um, a guy that is about 28 to 30 years old who lives up in our area, the East Lake area, Ridgemore area, Landsbrook area, he works up there. He was walking by. We just sat down and this guy's walking by. And I said, what are you doing down here? Are you slumming or, you know, just making a joke, you know? And, and I said, because you live up there and you work up there. He said, yeah, I'm trying to find some shoes. And I went to Steinmart. I said, okay. And I said, to get some shoes? And he said, no, they're, they're 50 bucks. They're just a little bit more than what I want to spend. My friend pulls out his wallet, two 20s and a 10, and he hands the guy $50. Now, my friend won 150 bucks at a golf tournament the weekend before, and he's looking for a way, he said, to give this away. He's asking God to open up a door. And so this guy that lived up there, 28, 30 years old, you know, my, my, my friend's trying to hand him the cash, and he's backing up. Now, if you know where I am, he almost backs up into the road right there. If you know, can you picture that corner? He's almost backing up into traffic. I said, dude, don't go any further. Just stay right there. Hold on. And it was an awkward moment. He didn't know how to receive a gift. I don't think anybody's ever given him a gift like this in his life. I think this was something totally brand new for him. So I'm trying to kind of broker this grace gift. And I, I stand up and I just said, he's trying to bless you. And he's like, he, he can't even speak. And I said, I said, well, he, he just, he just really wants to, you know, do something to help you. And, and I said, you know, you and I have talked about some of this and I've already asked the guy if I could sit down and talk with him for two years he asked me, when he sees me, what are you preaching on on Sunday? And so he asked me the whole Easter thing. And so I told him what we were doing at Easter time. And so I got to laugh at myself afterwards. I thought, you know, if we ever stop growing as a church, we could just bribe people. I mean, it, it, was, it, it, was, it was working, you know. And, and then he said, he said to the other guy, he said, you know, like, like, what can I do for you? I mean, he didn't say that to me because I didn't give him the 50 bucks. But he said, like, what, what can I do for you? And the guy said, I, I don't want anything. I, I just wanted, to, you needed shoes. Now, I'd already written the sermon. And the sermon today that was already written is all on generosity. And I want to talk to you today about what does it mean to be generous an old preacher is trying to teach a young preacher to have his congregation think about generosity. The old preacher is Paul, First, first uh, Timothy chapter 6. And the old preacher, Paul, is trying to help Timothy, the young preacher, to understand how to communicate this. And he says, command them, your flocks, your churches, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, to be generous and willing to share. Jesus tells two generosity stories, and they're amazing, and they're polar opposites. The first story is that of Zacchaeus. In Zacchaeus, in, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus entered Jerusalem, was passing through. We read this story last week. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was what? What's it say? He was wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Look at the next part. So he came down and at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this. They began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Did, did Jesus tell him to give money away? No. Did Jesus tell him how much money to give away? No. I wonder why he came up with this amount. He said, look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Now, this is what's interesting about the wealthy. You see, when the wealthy are generous, it's barely a speed bump on the scale of their financial portfolio. When the wealth, and there's nothing wrong with that, when the wealthy are generous, they still own what they own, they still buy what they buy, they still drive what they drive, they still go where they want to go. When the wealthy are generous, it's like a, a speed bump on their financial portfolio. And, and, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. So here's a very, very wealthy guy, very wealthy, perhaps in today's culture, almost like a billionaire. He would be the wealthiest dude in the entire community by far. So he gives away half his possessions to the poor, but he still has got the same house. He's still, got everything. He's still living good, and there's nothing wrong with that. And if I have cheated anybody, I'm going to pay him back four times the amount. Well, did he cheat, cheat people? He cheated people. He cheated all kinds of people. So here this guy is on one end of the spectrum. He's given away large sums of money. But even though he's given away large sums of money, he, he, he's still wealthy. Now here's an example, just the polar opposite of that. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Yeah, keep going. Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. And he watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, chewing gum money. Chewing gum money. That's all she put in. Worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more in the treasury than all the others. Why? Why was he so impressed with this? Here are two different examples. You couldn't find two different polar opposite examples. And yet Jesus tells both of these stories because both of these individuals put on a clinic. Zacchaeus put on a clinic of generosity. The poor widow put on a clinic of generosity. Now I imagine most of us in this room are somewhere between this. I don't know. Maybe you are a billionaire. I don't know. But if there's a billionaire or you have chewing gum money, probably most of us in this room fall somewhere in between this category. Okay? And I want to talk today about generosity. What does that look like? And what does that mean? And how can I be a generous person? Because you see, what we usually think about is I'll be generous someday when I have more. But you know who's rich? You and I don't see ourselves as rich. We see the person who has more as rich. You don't see yourself as rich. You think about somebody who has more. But in this story, we probably all fit somewhere between Zacchaeus and between the widow. 
So what does generosity look like, and where does it start? Well, I, I want to encourage it to start at home. I, I think generosity starts in the house. It starts in your home. And I want to flip-flop this just a little bit. I, I, want, to, I want to speak to the students. I want to speak to the students in the room that you go home and see you don't think about being generous to mom and dad. You think about them being generous to you. I want to encourage you to go home, go to Starbucks, buy them a cup of coffee, and when they pass out, (laughs) and when they recover from that, give them the cup of coffee. Next week's Mother's Day. Go to the Publix, and you don't have to buy a dozen roses. Buy one. Buy one rose for your mom. She will just do a backflip, a cartwheel right there in the living room. Father's Day is coming up in just a few weeks. Maybe two or three of you siblings go together and buy father. If you place golf, a golf package or, or something. But the point is, you and I don't think about possibly us being generous We think about other people maybe who have more could could be generous. I think we should think about being generous in our schools, being generous in our communities, being generous with churched people and being generous with unchurched people. What if you and I walked around with a spirit of generosity? That week when we did outreach week and all our whole church was doing outreach in the community, we impacted this community far greater than most of us will ever dream or ever imagine. And can you imagine if all of us learned to be generous and we look for ways of generosity? Maybe you can't do the 50 bucks for some guy that walks by that needs shoes. Maybe you can't do that. But you can do something. You can fit within one or two of these categories. So today... I want to challenge all of us to think about how can I be generous? And then I want to encourage you to do it for the rest of your life. I don't want us to do it for just a week. I want you to figure out how can I be generous for the rest of my life? So let's say that you're elderly, and let's say that according to life expectancy, you may have just two or three more years to live. Well, why not be incredibly generous the next two or three years? Or maybe you're 12 in this room, and you've got 70 more years to live. Why not learn to be generous the next 70 years of your life? So how do we maintain a spirit of generosity? Well, I want to tell you a story, then I'll tell you where it's found in the Bible, but it's about King David. And so King David starts off his life, and he was very, very generous in so many ways, And he always recognized that everything that he had was a gift from his heavenly father. David, when he was young, gave God the credit for allowing him to play the harp. And David gave God the credit for allowing him to write scripture and and poetry. And David gave God credit for allowing him to slay Goliath. And David gave God credit that he would be able to become this incredible king. But as David got older, he changed the narrative. And the narrative began to change. David recognized when he was young that God opened doors and God slayed the giants and God defeated the enemies. But as David gets older, what he asks his lifelong friend to do is to count the troops. And the general who'd been his lifelong friend said, David, don't do that. No, 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 no. I know what you're trying to do. You want to go brag to all your foreign kings. And when all your foreign kings' buddies get together, you want to tell about the size of your army and how great you've risen. David, I know where you're going with this. I'm begging you. Don't count the troops. 
Isn't that interesting how you and I start off in life and we graduate from high school or we graduate from college and we're like driving some really bad stuff? Or maybe we're dating some really bad stuff. I was dating Danita, so that doesn't really apply. But anyway, uh, you, you come out of high school or college and you're like on the low level. You're like on the floor, you know. You're not doing great financially. You're not doing great materially. You're like, you know, entry level. You're the gopher or whatever. And after a few years, you build something. After a few years, you make something. After a few years, you're no longer on the floor, but now you've risen, and maybe from the floor you're here, or you're here, or you're here, and you begin to change the narrative. When you were younger, you knew it was God who gave you those opportunities and put those people in your life and opened those doors. But now as you've gotten older, if we're not careful, we begin to change the narrative. We begin to say, yeah... You know, I, I worked harder than everybody else, and that's why I got to where I'm at today, because I was just such a hard worker. Yeah, I was with some pretty smart people, but truth, truth be known, I was really smarter than everybody in my class. Yeah, I was with people that had vision, but if you really want to know the truth, I had greater vision. Yeah, those doors were closed, but, but I beat them down. I opened those doors. And we're not careful. We begin to change the narrative where we were telling everybody how great God was and how many doors God opened and all the great things that God did in our life. David lost in 2 Samuel chapter 24. David lost his ability to be generous, and he changed the narrative. And so God, God convicted him. And it's a terrible story in 2 Samuel 24. God gave David three options to choose from. He chose option number three. In option number three, 70,000 people died with a plague within three days. Because when David responded back to Joab, he said, count the troops. Count the troops. And Joab said, all right, million three. Took him nine months. Nine months later, he comes back, million three. You got 800,000 fighting men in Israel, 500,000 fighting men in Judah. David, you got a million three. Go brag. Go brag to all your buddies. And he did. And so the plague was sent, and 70,000 people died. And David knew he had sinned. He was no longer humble, he was no longer generous. He was now puffed up, big and bad. I'm the big time king. And so the Bible says that he starts to make an altar. And he goes to this threshing floor. And in the Old Testament, you would, an altar was just a place where you go and meet God. That's all it means. An altar is a place where you go and meet God. So he, he's going to go and get this altar. And this guy wants to give him the piece of property. And David said, oh, no, 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 no. You, you can't give it to me. I'll pay you for it. And then as I read the story, it says David built the altar. And so I can't help but think the king could have hired people, but instead of hiring people, David himself laid every stone on that altar. And then somebody wanted to give him the cattle and the, and the animals, and David said, uh-uh, and he paid cash. He paid cash. David built it, and David bought it. And from that point on, the rest of David's life, he was then positioned to be incredibly generous. And he says, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll build the first worship center. I'll build the first temple for God. 
And God said, I appreciate that, but your hands are too bloody. You've been a warrior, not you. It can be your son, but not you. But you can give money for it. And God had humbled David and put him in a position. And David then gave $54 billion to help start the first worship center there ever was, the temple. And the rest of his life, King David was extremely generous. Now, I I thought about this, and I thought, why would a believer not be generous? And so I'm trying to come up with answers. I thought, well, maybe you weren't, if you're not generous, you weren't raised in 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 a home where there was lots of generosity. Maybe you were raised in a home where it's every man, every woman for himself. It's dog eat dog. Maybe that would be the case. Or, or, or maybe you were raised in a home where, you know, good people, but nobody just really thought about it. Nobody just thought about being generous. It wasn't even on, on the radar, you know, like if the little girl's bicycle got stolen next door. It wasn't even on the radar that you'd go to Walmart, buy her a bicycle, and put a note on there, God loves you. I mean, that, that wasn't even, that, that thought never occurred to anybody in your family. Or, or, or maybe, maybe, you know, like, you're not really sure that God will resupply. And that's kind of where I landed. I landed, I thought, how would a believer today not be generous with his or her family, not be generous at school, not be generous in the community, not be generous with church people or unchurch? How, how would a believer not be generous? And I thought, you know what? I, I think it's they just, they just doubt. I got over the whole debt thing because, you know, if you're in debt, that, that messes you up too. And I don't have time to talk about debt because Dave Ramsey and Howard Dayton, those guys have written about why we get into debt and how we stay out of debt. Because if you're in debt, it's hard to be generous. But beyond debt, I, I thought about the doubt. I thought, I just, maybe people doubt that God will resupply. I grew up in Indiana. I'm not a farmer. I'm not a farmer's son, but a lot of my friends were farmers And there's one thing the old farmer never complained about. The farmer complained about the cost of fuel. The farmer complained about the cost of the tractors. The farmer complained about the cost of land. But the farmer never complained about the cost of seed. Because the old farmer knew that without seed in the ground, there was no harvest. And so every farmer loved the seed. The seed was where he made his money. The seed was the harvest. And so I thought... Maybe we just, we just doubt whether or not God will, will resupply the seed that's been sown. So Philippians chapter 4, 19, Paul says this. He says, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. And so I thought, you know what, I've got to be real careful here because I, I don't want people to think that all you've got to do is, you know, God's going to resupply, God's going to resupply, God's going to resupply if you're not doing the other things well. In other words, in the Bible, God talks about how to earn money. And God talks about how to spend money. And God talks about how to invest money. And God talks about how to, how to save money. And so I don't want to leave the impression that you can quit your job and go to the Bahamas for six months, although I'd love to try that, wouldn't you? And all of a sudden, the, the old bank account just gets fatter and fatter. No, it comes from hard work. Hard work. And so, so there's, there's like eight slices of the pie, and you can't neg- neglect the other eight slices of the pie. But when you're doing all the things that God instructs us to do, he says he will supply. 
Listen to what 2 Corinthians says. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says this. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. And he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I can't wait to get back with that guy who got the new pair of shoes. I can't wait to have a conversation with him. Because that whole deal took place probably so that I could leverage a a, a witnessing opportunity for the kingdom of God in his life. It wasn't about the 50 bucks. The 50 bucks was just a a window that was going to be open for him. But you'll be enriched in every way. And what's he saying here? If that promise, though, of resupply is real, why wouldn't I be generous? If that's real, why would I not live my life with the lifestyle of generosity. You say, well, I don't have enough money. I bet you got chewing gum money, right? Maybe nobody in the room is a billionaire. If you are, you know, great. But, but I bet nobody is. At least you're doing a good job hiding it. So, so it, 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 between the billionaire and between chewing gum money, we all fit somewhere in there, don't we? We, we, all, we all do. So if God promises to resupply, why wouldn't I be generous? Now, I want to illustrate this in a little bit different way. It's a little bit weird, but hang with me. I'm a weird preacher. That doesn't surprise any of you, okay? So let, let's, let, me, let me tell this story this way. So let's say they're like there's, there's two different people, and one person sits in this section. This is the unspiritual section, sorry. <laughs> you, you look spiritual, but in this case, you're unspiritual. And Let's say this is the spiritual section over here. Okay, you look godly and holy. You do. You, you look great. But, but they, two people in two different sections, same church, been coming same 10 years, been listening to the same preacher for all these 10 years, and two different people hear this message of generosity, and they respond in two different ways. So here we go. This guy over here in this section, or this lady over here in this section, she's at A financially, but she's got her number. Her number is B. And for, for her to get to A to B, and B is her number, whatever her number is, or his number, his or her number, this is retirement, this is kids in college, this is travel, this is vacation, this is whatever this is, A to B. This guy or gal says, I got to have 100% of my income. For me to go from A to B, I got to get, I got to have 100% of my income. This person over here, same church, same 10 years, same preachers, same messages. This person over here, they're going to go from A to B also. They've got a number also. I'm at A, but I got a number. My number's B, and B is my number for retirement. B is my number for kids in college. B is my number for travel. B is my number for new whatever. This is, you know, extra condo somewhere. This is my number. B is my number. But this person says to go from A to B, I'm going to live on the 90%. I'm going to trust to be generous with the 10%. And this person doesn't only believe he's going to go from, or she's going to go from A to B, but they're going to go to C. A to B, they're going to believe that God is going to get them to C. Now, C, I don't want to be a health and wealth gospel preacher because C isn't necessarily more money. Don't misunderstand me. 
to get to see, see is the hand of God. See is the favor of God. See is God supernaturally working in your life. It may be more money, but it's more favor. And I can talk about C all day long. I have been the recipient, and I've been the donor, and I cannot tell you without tears in my eyes, I can tell you story after story after story about C. And I remember I became a tither when I was 16 years old, and I remember at 19 years old, I built this fence for a guy named Joe Egbert. And at the end of the fence, the bid was $1,000. At the end of the bid, he takes me back into his house, Sorry, not the end of the bid. After I finished the fence, I go back into his house, and he knew I was going to become a preacher. I was going to Bible college. He writes me a check for $3,000, which was the exact amount for one semester tuition. And he says, Parker, I'm expecting you to be a great preacher because you sure can't build a fence. I cut the phone line. I did all kinds of things trying to build that fan. I, it's a mess. But, but I have been the recipient of this. So here's the funny part. Both these guys think each other are idiots. The guy over here who says, for me to hit my number, I got to have 100%. He looks at that guy and he says, you idiot. You drank the Kool-Aid. You listen to all that preacher stuff. You listen to all those sermons. You are an idiot. You will never hit your number by giving away 10%. This guy goes, you're an idiot. You sing the worship songs. You are my all in all, except when it comes to my money. I trust you with my life, except for my checkbook. And this guy looks at this guy and he says, you're an idiot. You'll never get to where you want to be without God blessing you. Now, this is interesting because he thinks he's an idiot and he thinks he's an idiot. They both think each other are idiots. Here's the question. What kind of an idiot do you want to be? Because you are an idiot in somebody's mind. Do you follow that? Each other thinks they're they're the idiot. So I thought, well, why? Why would we not be the most generous people on the face of the earth? So I've asked Darren Key to come, and uh, Darren is an idiot. Come out here, Darren, if you would. (laughs) Would you welcome Darren Key from Christian Financial Resources? (laughs) You're a good idiot. I like that. And I've asked Darren, because Darren's in hundreds of churches. He, He has a team. There's six of them. And they're in over 250 churches. They are experts. We have learned from them. They resource us financially with our mortgage. Bigger than that, they help us keep on the cutting edge with what's going on in church world. And we've learned a lot from these guys. And so Darren was here this morning. And I just ask if you'd share a couple of these generosity stories, kind of on the different uh, perspectives. Well, we learned from you too, Kurt. I mean, I get to get on my conference call tomorrow with my team and tell us we're all idiots. Oh, so great, it'll be fine. Great. Well, you know, one of the things our ministry does is when a church is going to build a new project, we, we like to see churches not have to take on too much debt. So we do campaigns where there are a generosity emphasis in them. And we just wrapped up 15 of those uh, all across the Southeast. But uh, I've done hundreds of those on our team, and we've seen hundreds of million dollars be funneled to Christian church causes. But actually, the story that uh, when, when Kurt told me he wanted to talk about a couple stories 
uh, one of the first ones that came to mind was one that when I was on staff at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, we were doing one of those campaigns, and we had uh, a young uh, single mom there. She had three kids, and she decided that she really couldn't give anything to the campaign. So what she was going to do is she was just going to pray for the next uh, three years for the church while they went through this project. Well, then her kids were hearing about Jesus in their, in their Sunday school classes, and so they got together. One of the things we encouraged every family to do was to have a family meeting and just talk about what they were going to do for the commitment. That family, what they decided to do is they could give up cable TV for the next three years, which was back then $42.50 a month. It was uh, just over $1,500. I can tell you as the guy that counted cards, it was one of the smallest gifts we've got of anybody. But I'll tell you, that one always stuck with me of an example that, of a family that really didn't have a lot of means, but they still wanted to be a part of what God was doing there in the church. So that was neat to see. And then on the other end, um, we have a partner, uh, National Christian Foundation. Uh, They're in Atlanta, Georgia. I was just at one of their events recently. And it was a a great story of a businessman who actually is from Kurtz. I didn't realize this until first service, but from Kurtz uh, Old Stomping Grounds in Memphis, Tennessee. And it's... uh, He starts uh, telling this story. I'm going, I know the guy personally. I kept interrupting him like I just did. (laughs) There you go. So Alan Barnhart, uh, it's uh, Barnhart Crane and Rigging. If you want to read more about this story, you can go Google it at the National Christian Foundation. And I was just blown away. The guy starts talking and he's not real impressive. He's a construction guy that uh, just not real eloquent with his words and all of a sudden he starts telling the story and he had my attention because he said back in 1986, him and his brother, when they took over the family business, it was a very small enterprise, but they made a commitment that they were going to keep their lifestyle at the same level and they were going to give all the additional profits over to Christian causes. Well, you know, they started turning a $50,000 surplus. That was neat to give that away. And then it was $150,000. And uh, then eventually one year they gave a million dollars away. And it got to 2005, they gave a million dollars a month away. Well, in 07, they decided that they wanted to give the entire company to God. So they signed it all over to a donor-advised fund, National Christian Foundation. And that company now is generating over $50 million a year going toward Christian causes. And so that was an amazing example, I thought, of somebody that, and, and you actually know his lifestyle where he the, capped the, it at. The, the interesting part is, I, have, I know him personally, and he capped his salary, is at $125,000 a year when he could be taking $30 million a year. It's an amazing I, story. He's a great guy. He's a year older than I am. He was Danita's Young Life leader in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh, wow. Well, I love that because it's, it's taking us away from the drag of our culture. You know, it's so easy to pull us into consumerism and accumulation. And here's a guy that uh, is really kind of turning the whole model upside down. I love what he said here. Um, he said, uh, Alan and Eric and their families continue to live modest lifestyles. Alan says, in reality, we don't live a sacrificial life at all. We live a life that even by U.S. standards would be a very good life and by global standards would be extravagant. Even though there are some things that we've given up, we've given up none of the good stuff and we've saved ourselves all the energy it takes to accumulate. That's right. right. Darren, thank you. Would you welcome and thank Darren Key for sharing today? I want to show you this next slide about expressions of generosity. It it reveals the condition of your heart. And so let me just ask you today, is is there a good reason why you can't be generous? We've been given so much by our Heavenly Father. He's forgiven us of our sins. He's given us His Holy Spirit. He's given us His Scriptures. Our Heavenly Father 
has blessed you and blessed me. I mean, God has opened so many doors for my life. God has put so many wonderful people in my life and in your life. We're here today because our Heavenly Father opened doors and blessed you and gave you some incredible gifts, hasn't he? So I want to challenge you. This is what leaders do. I want to challenge you to be generous. And I want to challenge you to work on this for the next six days, just every day. Lord, how can I be generous? You see, because what you and I both know is that nobody drifts into higher levels of godliness. No one drifts into higher levels of holiness. No one drifts into a more serious relationship commitment with Jesus Christ. Everybody drifts south. Nobody drifts north, right? Nobody drifts north. You have to put a stake in the ground and say, okay, this is who I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to do. And so I'm going to ask you for the next six days to look for opportunities. How can you, how can I be generous? May not even be people you know their name. May not even be somebody you're real familiar with. Maybe somebody at home, family member, a grandmother, a grandfather. I'm not going to tell you what, but I'm going to ask you the next six days, every day, Lord, how can I be generous? And all of us fit somewhere between being able to give away half of our income to the poor or chewing gum money. We all fit somewhere in between. Second thing I want to ask you to do is this. I want to ask you to tell somebody, not to brag, but to encourage. I want to ask you to tell somebody so that somebody gets an idea from you. Gosh, I never thought about that. I never thought about being generous that way. I can do that. I can't do that yet, but maybe someday I can. Just just tell somebody. And you can email me at Kurt at HarborsideChurch.org. I may not respond to you. Karen Hoke, my assistant, may write you back. But we, we want your story. We want to collect your stories. We'd love to hear how you have been touched by your Heavenly Father to be generous. Oh, how he loves you. When I get with the guy who got the $50 shoes, <laughs> I'm going to try to explain God's grace to him. Because grace is you get a gift that you haven't deserved, that you haven't earned. And man, was he backpedaling almost into traffic. I'm going to try to explain that God just loves you. God is crazy about you. In fact, the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. I don't know that I can explain that, but it's a fact. It's called the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe that's where you need to start today. Maybe you need to start with accepting God's God's grace, His Son, who will forgive you. Maybe, Maybe it's Christian baptism. Maybe that's the next step for you. Maybe today you need to come down front for prayer in just a second and ask somebody to help you. Say, yeah, I wasn't raised in a generous home. Yeah, I've struggled with this. I got all these fears about money, blah, blah, blah. And just have somebody help break that spiritual bondage that's keeping you from being generous. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down front at this time. 
I'm going to ask the rest of us to stand at this time. And you respond to the preaching of God's word in the most appropriate way for you. You, you take these seeds that I have sown today and you let them germinate in you as God will, will reap a harvest. You are so generous, Father. You're so good to us. And we want to say how much we love you and we receive that today. Father, um, teach us to be generous. Teach us to be generous tomorrow morning. It can be time. It can be hugs. It can be smiles. It can be just words of encouragement. It can be a cup of coffee. It can be a pair of shoes. It can be $30 million like the Barnhart's. Teach us to be generous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.